It's more like getting comfortable uh, with taking many shots with a low probability of success and having a wide enough spread until something catches. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have an idea, a little seed in your head of a product you wanted to make and you wanted to see come to life? And all of the steps it would entail to get that product into customers' hands and into stores. Well, today's guest is going to tell us about his journey from his idea of a beverage CBD-based shot and how he has taken the steps and what has worked for him and what hasn't worked for him as to getting this into stores and where he is looking to go in the future with this company. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year Podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. Today's guest is Bryant Joseph, co-founder at Benny's. What I do currently is uh, run a company called Benny, which is a functional wellness company. And our main product are a line of wellness shots, specifically a CBD shot. And this is kind of like the five hour energy for relaxation. We use broad spectrum hemp extract. It's a real fruit tea base that's brewed in small batches in Atlanta. And um, we distribute throughout the Southeast and are working on expanding it. And we're working on some other flavors and functions within that uh, previously. I worked with a few technology and logistics uh, delivery companies I helped start. One of them was acquired by Bite Squad um, in 2018, uh, but this is definitely my first um, kind of CPG, uh, you know, packaged good or food and beverage venture. I've always been interested in that sort of thing and always wanted to make a brand, so this is an opportunity um, to do that. So what got you even started in this? Um, so. In Benny specifically, I mean, it was it was after uh, the delivery company ended. I was looking for something else to do, and I I had always wanted to do kind of a beverage and a product with a brand. Um, and I'd sort of played around with some concepts before, including like a bottle of coffee. Um, CBD was definitely something in early 2018 when I first started looking at it, like you know, early Q2 2018. Uh, it was definitely trendy, but it was like more cutting edge trend. It was not nearly as widespread as it was now. There were still lots of questions about legality and things like that, uh, but I knew it was going to be a big ingredient. A lot of people see it as like another caffeine or perhaps an anti-caffeine, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and the idea was originally a beverage and I, I sort of, we, you know, I had a series of ups and downs with that and and you know got off track from like the beverage route for a while doing like some powders which were interesting but ultimately a little later I came back to the beverage but this time in the form of a shot size which seemed to be pretty effective and so far it's done uh, pretty well uh, when you actually get it in front of someone they tend to buy it and they tend to rebuy so we're just looking on more ways to get it in front of more people so why beverages initially 
Um, it, well, as far as for CBD was, one thing I was coming at it from an outsider, the CBD world specifically was very kind of esoteric, like people that were into it were like really into it and they were like talking about like lab results and vapes and you know, like concentrations and different, you know, all these like really weird kind of esoteric formats if you're a regular person, but a beverage is so much more accessible um, to just say you, it's a thing you can drink. Even beverage is kind of like a technical like industry term as people say drink, mm -hmm. it's a drink, um, it's ready to drink, you know. Uh, and so that was always interesting. Now, since then, there's lots of people that have gotten in that space, not surprisingly, but the genesis was definitely the idea of like, make it a normal brand, particularly because it's derived from, you know, the hemp part of the cannabis plant, but, you know, make a brand that's fun and accessible and not like, uh, you know, the prior to this genesis of new brands, the only brands doing CBD stuff were like called Cushmaster 420 and stuff like that and so it was Good like name. make something you know that's like your mom might actually drink that's just like a normal regular person product what's the process so you had the idea and figured out so you kind of you said you played around with powders and stuff and then you went back to your original idea of the shot but how do you go from that idea that you had to where you are now uh so far it's just been a proof of concept um or, you know, as far as how the, the way I go about finding what works and what doesn't work. Um, so it's sort of like you want to produce a shot. Well, how, what's the, how do you sell it? It's like, I actually, when I was looking at doing the shot specifically, you know, I went into some local stores that I was trying to sell the powder into. Um, and we, I sort of pitched the idea of a shot that didn't necessarily exist, but I thought was a good idea. And I discovered a few things. They were interested in buying it and putting it out. They thought it would do well. And then also they were like, oh, it should be shelf stable. That would be ideal because we're worried about theft. That's like a big thing in store. And it hadn't even occurred to me to do that. I only knew how to do something fresh, like a juice, which is what a lot of products are. So I learned about the process of you know, a hot fill tea, which can be done to make something shelf stable, um, where it's heated as it's prepared. And uh, so there's like a commercial kitchen that you can rent space in. So you produced in small batch production, was able to get it in stores and see that it sold through really well. And all of this is before going through distributor. All of this is before finding a co-packer. You know, in the industry, people find contract packers, which are, you know, they call them co-packers. And they like, they produce whole runs of thousands of units at a time. So they have to go and get money and this and that. Whereas like this whole thing is started on relatively little money. Um, the brand was an evolution of a brand the overall brand that we uh, had a very talented designer um, that I've originally found on Dribble um, do the brand for a few different functional kind of flavors varieties and then we kind of evolved that to make it conform to a bottle um, but having that strong basis in brand and having you know what appears to be a product market fit is a good starting point for that Okay. And then, so what aspects are you doing at the company? So you're the co-founder. So how mm -hmm. many people, is there one other person or? It, it's myself and uh, my co-founder Val. Um, you know, this, it's a discovery process. It's not like a, uh, you know, hard and fast line. Um, you know, Val does uh, marketing, does social media, does various kinds of outreach. I'm typically a little more over um, some of the more direct business functions as well as 
uh, I've done all the formulation and, and things like that. Um, you know, but a startup is inherently very nebulous, at least in my experience. And so it, the roles uh, often blend and it's really about what needs doing. And so it's just like how many different things and trying different things and trying different angles. And this, you know, maybe that looks different if you have years of industry specific experience that then you just turn into a startup. But, you know, we're not coming at it with years of, you know, beverage or CPG industry experience working for another company. So there's probably a lot of things we're doing that, I mean, certainly now there are things that I could do more efficiently had to, if I had to do them over again. So kind of learned the hard way. What um, would you do over again? Uh, or do differently? Yeah, I mean, just lots of things with my approach, obviously. I mean, it's just broadly speaking, it's like, oh, I tried nine things that didn't work and one thing that did. Well, obviously, I would just go straight to the one thing that did. Um, certainly, it it's always good advice to move faster. It's kind of generic, but, um, you know, in my experience, I wish I got to the shop concept faster and focused in more on that and focused in more on like opportunities for selling it and getting it out there um you know we started uh, it's not even just a factor of speed it's also like mentality where it's like kind of like we were approaching it almost too cautiously and the reality is it's much easier to learn things in the market and like move and modify and break things kind of in real world environments instead of staying in a kind of disconnected lab environment there's some people that do that Typically, those people raise outside money, um, you know, significant amount or venture capital or something like that, you know. Venture capital is when outside investors provide capital, i.e. money, to companies that exhibit high growth potential in exchange for equity in the company. For example, if you've ever seen or heard the show Shark Tank, which is pretty popular nowadays, on the show, companies come on and they present their product to the sharks. And in exchange, they're looking for some form of money. And they're willing to give up some portion, whether it's 10%, 33%, sometimes, you know, it's upwards 50% of the company, so that the sharks will then give them money. And with that comes connections and all of that other stuff. But the money allows them to expand their business and figure out where they want to go and do the things that they can't afford to do currently. Uh, that's not really uh, been the case with us. And so, you know, as a result, you are better off trying to get to a result as quickly as possible. Now, some people naturally gravitate towards that. I tend to gravitate towards uh, thinking through something very carefully and sometimes that's advantageous but sometimes uh, it's more advantageous just to jump in the pool even when it's cold and then worry you know like your your net outcome of that it gets you to the next step faster than thinking about the best way to jump in now there's other times probably bigger decisions where maybe it does serve you better to think but so examining the stage and the context you're in is going to be a pretty big factor I think so you went to Florida State correct Yes. And you studied what? Uh, my degree says communications. Within that, I was in the media production program, but it's the School of Communications. And I had a minor in business as well. How was that experience? Uh, the overall college yeah. experience? Uh, I certainly liked going to like, you know, I liked a decent amount of college when I was in it in the terms of like, you know, there's a 
rite of passage component to it. Um, I was a for I was fortunate enough to be able to do it uh, without incurring student loan debt, which would make it pretty significant. FSU happened to be an in-state school, and and uh, one of the better value in-state schools, I believe, in the country, at least at the time I was going. I graduated in 2014, so it was 2010 to 2014. Um, so I enjoyed the college experience in terms of personal development, growth, and things like that. I'm not entirely sure, um, you know, that, that's the utility of that professionally is maybe a different question, but I didn't dislike it. I liked it. Do you think it was worth it to go to college? If I do incur a lot of debt, the answer would be no. Um, in my case, but mine's a bit, you know, like it, I know people that are say, you know, a civil engineer and they got a degree and then the, the, it's really, even that really is kind of a trade, but we don't consider that a trade. You know, we consider that a career, even though it's materially the same thing. And in that case, objectively, I'm not working in communications. Um, you could say that I, you know, I'm doing things with in and around communications, which is true. Um, there are some people that also see value and argue there's value in like liberal arts in terms of becoming more worldly and educated and expanding your lexicon, which I actually do see value in and have seen value in, but a lot of that value is intangible. It hasn't necessarily led to more dollars that are quantifiable today. Um, you know, I think there's lots of arguments for college and in my, my case it was, I had, I, I actually got into NYU. <laughs> you chose not to go there? Yeah, because it the would money? have cost, you know, nearly $60,000 a year. Yeah. So that would have involved taking on, it was something like $400,000 in debt over 30 years with interest. Jeez. So that's, but, so that's the, that's really the more uh, accurate determination, right? To say like, it's not just college, right? It's like I went to the one of the better valued state schools. I had Bright Futures, which is a scholarship that Florida has. It doesn't completely pay tuition when I did it, but it was a good chunk. Um, I, you know, had three roommates when I lived off campus at one point and did not live in the nicest place. It wasn't a bad place or anything. And obviously I, I came from a background in a family that was able to help uh, support the cost of college, um, which is of course a privilege. Uh, but that was still balanced with reality, which is support the cost of college going to that good valued state school, not support the cost of college going to NYU. NYU would have led to loans and it was pretty much ruled out as an option for those practical reasons. So um, now some people might argue that, you know, going to NYU, living in New York and blah, 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 maybe there would have been these other opportunities that came out of that, but it's just really hard to say, to speculate. The only thing we know for sure with taking on all those loans is you would have had all those loan payments. Now yeah. maybe you would have had higher earning potential and paid them, but we, we don't know. It may have been good, it may have not made a difference. That's speculation. The only thing that's not speculation is if you had done that, you would have had those loans. We know that. That's the only thing that's actually a fact. Yeah, and took the chance. I mean, it seems to have paid off thus far, going to FSU and... Instead you know, yeah. of the other place. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... I guess you'll only really know in the end. I mean, this is... You know, we're still very much... Everything's still a learning process. And, you know, this is also funneled through the you know, in doing a startup or starting any kind of business, really, there's a degree of risk and uncertainty and fledgling from when one thing leads to another. And so like your assessment of its success is going to be, um, 
you know, it's very much going to be dependent on, you know, where it ends up, which can some take years to really pan out. Um, so my assessment in my case of the value of college is colored by that as opposed to if I had gone a more traditional career path, you know, I may have been able, I may at this point already have a better attribution to how useful college was within that. Piggybacking off of that, did you know going into college that you wanted to start a business? Not necessarily. Um, I wanted to work in the media and or film industry. Um, I still do things in and around media because it's so closely related to marketing. Um, and I, But what I realized through that time was that I ultimately valued um, kind of creative control and the ability to craft something, a narrative, an experience, whatever, and I realized that business was, in some ways, particularly if there was revenue attached to it, kind of controlling the flow of, of money is the best way that leads to creative control in, in this society. And so a brand, a brand experience, a packaging experience um, has a narrative component woven throughout it, a good brand should. And so it's kind of an extension of media in that like you talk about it's storytelling. And so media, it was always like, like film. It's like you're telling a story. It's the act of creating like a new thing, creating packaging and a brand and labeling. And then social media, right? You're expected to produce original media content anyway. A lot of the creative uh, stimulation, there's a lot of overlap in it. So it's not entirely a leap. Um, the only part that's maybe more of a leap is the idea of you know making sure it's sufficiently commercialized and successful enough in that capacity, um, you know, which has been a learning experience. I wasn't, I'm not going to pretend like I was necessary. I was always from a young age, liked creating things and making things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wasn't necessarily like hawking lemonade. That wasn't my instinct. I'm not, you know, some people have that like story where they're like selling lemonade as a kid and I was shoveling snow. I just loved making money. I never necessarily had that, but I did like making things, um, in a variety of mediums, including media and home movies and stuff like that. So there was some overlap there. So like now the, the next sort of series of tests is seeing, um, you know, how learnable some of those commerce skills are. And the reality is, you know, you may not be the best at certain things, but can you be good enough to get to a certain level and work with and collaborate with some people that are, you know, uh, that supplement some of your weaknesses and deficiencies and vice versa. 
um, which is, of course, what I've learned, the importance of that collaboration. And there's an awful lot of very few things, even though, you know, most outward facing brands, stories, businesses, whatever, have sort of a PR spin to it. Uh, but the reality is like to get from zero to 100, there's a lot of other forces and other people that help along the way and help plug deficiencies because even people that are really good at the commerce piece may or may not be good at the you know, creative piece or you know, whatever it is. So how have you gotten to that over time? Just like practicing yeah. various businesses? Uh, practicing and even now, like I said, you know, because my nature tends to be a little bit uh, more thoughtful and, and perhaps even slower moving at times, I've increasingly learned the skill of taking the risk is maybe a little too much of an abstraction because it's not necessarily a risk. Mm-hmm. Like, is it a risk to ask for something that has a low chance of success and being told no? Although the reality is a lot of times it's harder to get a no than just a non-answer is more likely. Um, it's like, I guess you could call that a risk, but what you, what you eventually learn is like you realize that that's not really much of a risk. You don't really lose much of anything. It's more like getting comfortable uh, with taking many shots with a low probability of success and having a wide enough spread until something catches. And so that, that process I do think is, is learnable. I think some people are wired, so to speak, um, to do that more readily and they, they come out doing it more and maybe I wasn't, but like, I do think you can learn if you can learn like the, you know, mental tricks to keep making those things. I think you can, um, so how did you learn that? Did you read books? Did you just definitely, definitely just doing people? and and also working with people who maybe were better at that naturally and seeing that process pay out and see the ups and the downs for all that there's like there is a equal corresponding you know down for every like success and up and it's very roller coaster is the stereotype and it is a roller coaster but it's like it's how the the it's frequent. Like on a daily basis, there could be a crisis or a success. Very rarely is it like uh, linear in terms of like taking those risks and the upside and the downside. So it's like just the act of like making yourself do it. It's kind of like running if you wanted to run or something, you know, like you, there's some people that are, you doesn't mean you're going to be an Olympic swimmer, but like normal people every day eventually it's maybe easier for some people but most people assuming able normal circumstance um and a little bit of opportunity can eventually practice enough and acquire the skill of being a regular and pretty decent runner you know or some basic Mm -hmm. thing like that um if they put in the time and the work uh, that doesn't mean they'll necessarily achieve a career or the highest degree of success or whatever you want to call it at it. But you can learn to be a better, a lot of things just by like doing it more and making yourself do it more. And it may, might even be harder to do it. You may be less inclined. Like it's sort of like some people are morning people. Some people will never quite be morning people, but they can practice the habit enough to where uh, it's, it's, they need it's it. serviceable, yeah. perfectly serviceable to where they can do it and they don't really think about it. It's a lot easier than it used to be. Did you learn this in college or after college? Or mm, kind of like a Very little of this was learned in college. Uh, there are some things I did in college that I looked back and said, oh, I was using this other skill. I just did a very rudimentary form and I got lucky. And now I'm like, I wish I had taken more shots at doing that. Um, I wish I had more frequently... Um, you know, gone for that, you know, college, 
does provide a little bit of a safety net for some it provides structure which some people benefit from but that structure can also it can also give you the impression you're accomplishing more than you actually are depending on what you're doing i say this having picked a major and a set of um you know requisites and things like that that were you know, things that could be double counted, like, oh, you don't have to do a foreign language if you do a quote-unquote business language, and that can also count for your business minor. There are things, I crafted a thing in college in order to allow for more extracurricular time. Um, in retrospect, there's ways I wish I had even maximized that time more than I did. Were you building companies at this point? Uh, towards the end of college, we were in a business plan competition, a friend of mine and I, business partner at the time, um, and had were approached to build a concession delivery company, which we did, and that was my last year in college, we started building that, and then right out of college, I like right, ran into that, and so there was some funding associated with that, and we worked with Aramark, and we did concession delivery at FSU Stadium, and there's a lot of things we did on that. Um, it ultimately didn't work commercially for a whole variety of reasons and real-world challenges. Um, there's another one that also occurs to me even prior to that. I uh, I wanted to start a YouTube channel that was like college-themed cooking called College Grub, and I had some friends, and I corralled together people, and we shot like a pilot. It was a pretty ambitious oh, So this concept. was like an actual like TV show? It would be a short. YouTube series. Okay. But at the time, you look back, and it's like, oh, this was like 2012, 2013. You know, some of the biggest YouTubers now didn't even exist back then, which is pretty crazy. At the mm -hmm. time, it was like YouTube was mature, quote-unquote. You know, it wasn't 2006 YouTube, but it's like... YouTube's been through several big evolutions, so it's like if we had actually stuck to that and really stuck to you know creating a, a healthy clip of content, that probably could have potentially even commercialized into something. But what happened with that? Well, what actually happened with that was then it was started during the summer, and then the semester came back, and I was like, oh, we're in media production full time now in the the program, the college program, and I thought it was going to be a lot more rigorous than it actually was. So I did, I wanted to give ideal deference to that, and so ironically. <laughs> as it pertains to college, the college actually stopped me from pursuing that outside thing. And instead we're like, I hope to focus on these class exercises. Well, I, I was, I was enough autodidactal, you know, self-educating enough to most of the things in class myself and, and my small friend group within that class kind of already knew how to do. So it was largely a waste of time in our media stuff. So it was like, I would have been better off just doing the extracurricular thing because we would have been building at least some amount of brand equity in something that may or may not have developed a following and that could have precipitated something larger instead of some class exercise that was teaching you something that we basically already knew and you know um so yeah in that in that case it actually kind of interfered with that but again that's that's one of the things impossible to say if it would have succeeded or not although in the path of doing something you want to do and learning and being like you don't know this let's pull together and buy this piece of equipment and this and that there are very few resources that my particular program afforded that we couldn't have gotten otherwise. So it paid off in some sense and then in others. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it, in, in the case of that particular project, it was a detriment yeah. to it. Would you ever consider starting up a cooking show or something again? Yeah, I mean, I, I do a cooking TikTok, um, which is just super short format, entirely different. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting, and, and it was a more ambitious, like, each episode was going to be 15 minutes, it was going to be on YouTube, there's going to be a story, and, like, three recipes, and it was, like, kind of, like, modeled after, like, a real 
bono it was like pretty ambitious and i wish i had gone short format this was actually like right when like tasty and stuff like that was starting to be a thing and they figured out like there was a real utility in the way like the algorithms were going just having like super simple visually digestible short format videos shot from above i wish i had figured that out or something but i would i was too interested in the idea of like emulating shows that i liked like good eats that had this whole like narrative structure and everything and they were a lot harder to shoot and a lot more ambitious you know we're doing things like putting gopros in fridges and stuff um and yeah so it would have but again it, that's that is an example in, in my particular case of like being more plugged into what the market wants is sometimes better um because you can find a way to disproportionately take advantage of it instead of just saying i think this is a good idea but then like it goes both ways because there's times where just looking being too close to the market pulse quote unquote means you're not sufficiently creative enough to think of anything different and sometimes those people that are not really paying attention to what everyone else is doing come up with the better stuff so it's a very fine balance how are you um, figuring out what the market wants? Are you watching to see what's kind of rising well, and what's not? Yeah, or? yes, and it's also easier to say in hindsight. And then a lot of it is if you're if you're really if you're just talking about the social media piece, it's about like attention and where is there a disproportionate benefit for attention? Like right now, as we have this conversation, TikTok is still a good platform for really good organic reach, whereas Instagram, it's really hard to get that. Same is true for LinkedIn. That comes down to there's more people uh, consuming content than creating it. And so as a result, people creating it get a disproportionate benefit. But as more and more people get on the platform and start creating their own content, I mean, if you just remember Instagram stories when they first came out, it was like a few people were using them. And it was like they would get right at the top of the feed. And then like now everyone uses it. It's like the standard. Everyone has a story at all times where it's like almost like you don't even go past like the first six. You know, it's because it just goes on forever. And then the feed doesn't even show you everything in order. It's algorithmic now. So it's like basically it's really just showing you some stuff. It's not even showing you, um, you know, anything novel. So, so again, you know, when we talk about like what's pulse on the what's trending, it is sort of like we tend to talk about it in the context of social media, which is how we're talking about it right now. There's obviously other ways. I mean, another example of that in an offline format and just an overall trends format was the idea of like, oh, I knew CBD was going to be a big thing, but of course I wasn't the only one. There were people that were saying that in 2014 when the mm -hmm. first iteration of the Farm Bill passed that allowed some CBD stuff. And so, like, you know, there's some people that benefited from being very, very early um, in the same way. That YouTube concept I was talking about in 2012, 2013, which is a benefit now talking about it in 2020, but that still pales in comparison to if you had started in 2006 YouTube, which is like just being in at that level producing content regularly you could be doing not even great content and it would be basically guaranteed success but that's the equivalent of buying you know real estate and you know like they say the saying manhattan in the whatever 1800s yeah that's hard to spot with certainty up front so what are two pros and cons to what you do to what i do specifically yes two pros. to your job two pros and two cons yeah, or if you have more, but at least two pros. Well, I'm two saying cons. two pros and two cons, not like oh, okay. a pro and a yeah. con, right? Okay. Um, well, the pros is you set your own schedule. Um, a con to that is you need to be disciplined, which isn't inherently a con, but like you do need to, like you, you will not be successful if you are not 
self-discipline to adhere to that schedule and make sure that that schedule is sufficiently rigorous enough to accomplish what you want to do. So do you make yourself wake up at a certain time or like in the office at a certain time or how do you structure Generally, it depends on what I have to do. Um, you know, and it depends on like what needs doing. I, I don't, there's like a general guideline for like time and schedule, but it's not like regimented like one of these like business insider articles where it's like this CEO wakes up at 4 a.m., you know, goes on a run, does this, then reads like, you know, the ba the Beijing Times and, you know, is awake before the market's open in the That's U.S. to No. <laughs> um, you know, and maybe when you're operating at that level, maybe that type of regimentation is necessary, um, you know, and then you get in this whole other thing. It's like, do you need to like have that mindset to get that position, you know, like dress for the job you want type of thing. It's like, I don't know, hard to say. Right. So that's, that's a pro and a con there. And then, um, I suppose another pro would be the upside. And this is true for any business, any product based business certainly is the upside is if you're successful at establishing yourself as one of the key players, uh, within a space in the case of a business, what I do CPG, uh, the upside is tremendous. It's disproportionately advantageous. You know, the early kombucha players like GT are, there's so many people in kombucha now, but the people that were in early and scaled, were able to scale early when it was still kind of a niche and now it's sold in gas stations, you know, those people are, have a tremendous market presence and a tremendous amount of commercial success because of their early position. The con is if you're not one of those and maybe there's some privilege involved maybe there's some luck i mean there's obviously hard work but the hard work is requisite that's the thing it's not i would argue it's not just hard work because you have 10 people statistically one out of the 10 will make it all 10 or at least eight of the 10 were working really hard so that's not enough by itself in my opinion so the con to that same thing each of these like a, two sides of a coin is if you're not one of those uh few uh, the downside, well, there just may not be much of an upside. Mm -hmm. Now, it's hard to say exactly when that's the point, and a lot of businesses have longer stories where they have a multi-year period of discovery and kind of semi-failures, but then they pivoted accordingly, and that was where they found their success. So that's also kind of part of the equation. And so it's impossible to know while you're in it which side you're on. You know, so that's, those are kind of two pros and cons and each of those are two sides yeah. of the same coin. So since you're not like overly regimented about, you know, like the waking up at 4am, whatever, what's an average day like for you? An average day would be to, uh, wake up. Um, I'm usually on my phone reconnecting with the world pretty quickly. I know some people have these very like offline kind of morning rituals and again maybe that's better i don't know i haven't really tried it but lately there's a series of there's some check social media or email or whatever usually there might be some texts or something some connectivity and then uh, get ready for the day and then if i have to go anywhere right away or come into the office i tend to like you know you could sit some of the stuff could you could sit on your bed i know some people like working from their bed um, on a computer, I like coming into an office. It doesn't even have to be, you know, or it could be a co-working space, I suppose, just something like that. And, and some of that is probably psychological, but it does seem to be better. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have an office right now that has a decent setup. And so 
than really diving into work. Um, I do find I tend to be more of a night owl, like I, I, because of like circadian rhythms being what they are. I might wake up and not feel tired per se, but something about as the afternoon gets later, I somehow get more productive hmm. um, or have better ideas or something. And maybe there's ways to trick yourself into jumpstarting that. Um, I, you know, tend to, in the middle of, throughout the sort of middle chunk of the day, there's, is where you might find more phone calls and meetings and this and that. Most of the world stops working at five. I usually don't. And so like, then you can do more solo work after that because it's like, it's harder to get in touch with people you may be doing business with per se. Um, so the later part of the day is structured for more solo work. And in my case, there's, some, there's a lot of hands-on work, like producing more product, um, which I tend to do at night because the space is less crowded and if it's just me doing it or if I have to schedule someone for a shift that can be flexible that can really be whenever because it's a 24-7 facility so that's a typical day but you know defining as to what the work within that day entails it varies pretty widely depending on what stage of the business we're at and like so what's the main goal right now with the company uh, get in more doors and sell in more places uh, there's also potentially some more online sales opportunities right now we're primarily just through doors because Ingestible CBD doesn't have very many paid digital opportunities for ads, but there are some people kind of skirting various gray lines. There's people using kind of influencer marketing, but like influencer marketing in 2020 looks very different than it did in like 2016. It's, you can't just have a pretty person holding a bottle of, you know, makeup on Instagram and a static image that doesn't really work anymore. It certainly doesn't produce the kind of, you know, they want to charge some amount of money for that. So it's like, We'll have to come up with more clever ways to do it, and I'm not by any means, um, you know, the, the most clever digital or product marketer out there. There, But I have talked to some people um, that are quite accomplished in that space, and so working on trying to find if there's more there there on the digital front, and doing that, of course, with limited resources is one thing. And then on the other side, um, you know, our existing distributor is gradually pushing into more locations, but trying to find additional partners that cover more territory and store types that they don't. Um, so those are really the two objectives. Both of those ultimately bake down into more sales. Um, and then at that point, we might actually get to the point where we can sustain some more manageable uh, commercial growth investment because mm -hmm. there will be more cash flow to support that so what's the goal of Benny what would you kind of coin as like why you're doing this and why this is so so conceptually as a brand Benny is about making wellness more accessible traditionally it's been when we say wellness you're talking about this kind of um almost elitist like impossible aesthetic you usually think like you know skincare and trending face masks and this and that and kind of impossible standards it's not just say impossible standards of beauty that's kind of like a stereotype but just like uh kind of strange unattainable lifestyles and this and that and it's more like as a brand it's supposed to embody accessible everyday wellness you know we have a social impact partner um called yoga for change that does a purpose-driven yoga program for formerly incarcerated individuals veterans uh, at-risk youth um populations like that so people who historically wouldn't be associated with wellness so it's like make wellness stuff more accessible um and then doing that through obviously a product that is good and resonates with people uh 
you know, in the case of a CBD shot, there's a lot of CBD sparkling waters out there. There's a lot fewer shots that are actually a small batch artisan grade product like this. How many are in the industry? CBD shots specifically? Yeah. Oh, I don't know a number, but I mean, like there could be 10, but like I, you know, the ones I've seen are largely like, they're literally just some of them like, uh, or have caffeine as well. So it's like, they're like, Oh, it, it modulate. It's very much that like Cushmaster 420 angle. And then there's a lot of CBD beverages. Some are very like bougie and elitist and upscale and some are more like accessible, but a lot of them are like sparkling water, a few tea, almost all of them are like full size. Whereas like fewer are in the shot category, a lot of the shots out there in general are juice or a fewer apple cider vinegar stuff like that. Um, we're one of the few that's a tea, but the dose of CBD in it is 30 milligrams, which is pretty functional. Most of them, most of the sparkling waters tend to be about 10 milligrams and some of them are up to 25, 20 or 25. So we're at 30. We're one of the higher doses. There's a couple brands that have higher, but they're also like very, like very much like the flash in the pan, kind of like, like the main thing on the CBD uh, shot, the product is called relax and that's the main thing because you're selling the feeling of relaxation it's it's the you know calm cool you know that whole thing um and that selling that feeling is obviously more important than you know cbd is prominently featured on the label hemp cbd uh but it, cbd is not the headline whereas some products that's the headline and that's going to go away as more brands use it you know you don't have a five hour energy is like selling you five hour energy it doesn't say caffeine on it caffeine plus B vitamins, even though it says that on it, but like, that's not what the product is mm -hmm. called. So as CBD as a space and it is an ingredient involves, it'll be like products that use CBD that you like, but not necessarily just having CBD alone is enough. If you could do anything in the world, regardless of your current skill set and anything like that, what would you do? You mean, uh, like career wise, career -wise. like, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it at this point, it would be focused, I mean, I'm focused just on, on this, so yeah. it would be something to better enable the success of Benny. Um, if we're talking about a kind of post-Benny world, kind of in the abstract, um, it would, it, I think it would be continuing in the brand creation space, so that whether that's a new brand or an evolution of this brand, um, I could see when I'm a little older, perhaps, uh, helping younger startups and companies. A lot of people say they want to do that. I have no idea how to successfully do it because there's a lot of people, even people that have successfully built things that are very bad at helping others doing it. There's a lot of like bad angel investors in terms of they give bad advice or they invest in the wrong stuff. Like it's a very tough thing to do at the early stage because there's such high degree of intuition and such little tangible proof. Um, so I'm not at this point saying that I could do it any better than a lot of these other people could, but I would like to be able to get to the point where I think I could conceivably do it better. Um, that So helping other people in that way is something I'd definitely be interested in. But that's in the context of me having a certain amount of success where I feel like I have a sufficient amount of credibility uh, to help other people. But even then, even prior to that, I still help people when I can with something I think I might be able to benefit them for, even if I'm not, you know. It, it's one of those things that it's, it's a slippery slope because there's lots of people that give advice out of there. Uh, but sometimes if you're a reasonably observant and astute person and you've had some experience in a space, sometimes you can render pretty decent, actionable advice. 
Um, maybe it's not all encompassing, but maybe it's helpful to someone and you don't necessarily have to, you know, it's like, oh, if you don't have the net worth of Bill Gates, don't even talk to me. It's like sometimes you could have a lesser degree of success and still have uh, a t useful, tangible observation. And that's what I'd like to think I can provide now. And as I get more credibility, maybe that gets also more useful. Would childhood you be happy with what you're doing? Mm. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I really saved up these uh, zingers. Um, I think uh, happy with the trajectory. Okay. Um, it's assuming, depending on how old, if they could even know what, if the child of me would know what the word trajectory meant, uh, depending on how, you know, two-year-old, maybe <laughs> what not. What phase but, you were um, in, yeah. You know, uh, there's always, I always had sketchbooks and things like this as a child. Like, you know, my mom can tell you there's like, I used to draw designs for cruise ships, which you would think take that idea. Designs and, for cruise ships? Yeah. You know, very extensive like didn't know proper you know, but like really very detailed yeah like decks and decks at a time or floors and so like the what idea was that was that based off of like growing up in florida and you did you live on the coast and you saw like a bunch of cruise no. ships or you just no. just like cruise ships? it was it, it wasn't like exclusively just about cruise ships designs for lots of the idea okay. of like creating something creating an experience because it was like you know it's in the abstract sort of form of a little kid and not just saying like here's where you like, oh, and then you could do this here and that here. So there's a creation aspect there. Mm -hmm. And you could say, oh, well, that doesn't that beget like being an architect or something like that. But it's like it wasn't like being fascinated with getting the angles and the stuff right and the minutia of actual design. It was more like the idea of creating a new thing and a new experience. So I'd like to think that building brands, businesses, experiences, et cetera, kind of goes hand in hand with that creation that starts with a little bit of imagination. Um, and, and ideally leads uh, to the precipitation of something new. So in that sense, I'd like to think um, childhood me would be happy because of that aspect of it. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I think most of the stuff I did and was interested in, that's the commonality is um, that creation piece. You know, that's how I would think of it now. Okay. I could, I could see that for sure. Yeah. It wasn't just cruise. I mean, I'm sure there, there were other things. That's just one I specifically That's remember. a very specific one. But yeah. that's interesting. No, I've never heard of anybody, like, really drawing cruise ship plans and stuff. I was going to ask if you thought about being, like, an architect or anything, interior designer, but... I probably did at the time, but it was also, like, I thought about being an accountant. I would not want to be an accountant now, just so you know, because I actually know that. But it was the idea of, like, oh, organizing things. Yeah. I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, so, yeah. If you had 24 hours to live, unlimited money, and can travel at the snap of your fingers, what would you do? Mm. Travel at the snap of your fingers is, is an interesting contrivance because, like, that total that that completely changes the practicality of it because, like, unlimited money can buy a lot of things in the world, but it can't actually buy time. It can only like accelerate time, but it can't. If you wanted to visit everywhere, you could. So it's mm -hmm. like I guess you could. I would probably do some traveling, but I would probably be like, um, probably definitely traveling to every, if we're clear about the fantasy rules of this, if we, yeah. you know, we have, we, we're assuming this scenario, we have a decent amount of information. So it's like, I need to see this person that I knew or talked to, uh, and, but, and I also can know where to get to. In that scenario, it's like, I would probably be visiting every significant person in my life to say something 
um, that would be pretty high on the list. So I think you could accomplish that. With that kind of travel feasibility, I think you could accomplish that pretty quickly. I think you could also travel to, there's not, there's not something like, wow, I've, like, I've never seen you know, the Colosseum in Rome. I'm not necessarily dying to see it, but, but again, practically, <laughs> given that ability to travel, it's like, I guess you could see the top 20 places and be like, well, there it is. Might as well. Yeah, touch it. Like, that I feel like you could do, and you could probably do that with just a couple hours, and we got a full 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could probably also have some of the best meals. I do like food. I do like cooking. Um, so I would ideally probably, that meals would be a good place to also then share with some of these said people I would visit via quick Come with me. Grab them by the hand, yeah. take them. So as long as we can do that, you know, and uh, yeah, it'd be really hard to organize some big event or something even with that kind of money. So yeah, it would probably be lots of little micro experiences. Um, You'd have to constantly, well, if you wanted a lot of people to go with you somewhere, just zap them, yeah. you know, they yeah, travel that's, with that's you. what I would do. Uh, that seems like the right thing given those kinds of constraints being lifted because that, that allowed, because the idea that I occurs to me and I think would probably occur to most people is maximize the most bang for your buck in terms of the most memorable experiences in the smallest amount of time and that's reasonably how you would do that. I'm not necessarily a frantic person most of the time, but I think given that kind of urgency, I think it would motivate me to want to take quicker action. Understandable. Sounds like some good plans though. Yeah. What's next? So kind of like in the broad sense, I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier, like after Benny or like continuing with Benny, um, you'd want to like help other people with startups. Um, but just in a, however you choose to take the question, you can answer. Yeah, I, I would like uh, to grow Benny to a, a sufficient level and I would like to, within, this is a very slippery slope because there's such things doing too much, but I would like to get some more plates spinning, so to speak. There are other ideas. They could be businesses or they could just be projects. Um, there's a handful of others that I've thought about that I would like to do and work with some people on them. And that some of that is sort of like, it's a little less like, it's not like, oh, you're an advisor and an incubator or an investor and thus you're helping the next generation. Like there's that aspect, but it, and you're, Younger version of that is like, you might just work with some other people that are operating partners in something, and it it it, it isn't. Ex- I don't think it's exclusively business, uh, but there's a whole variety of. There's not one that's like particularly dominant, because um, it's one of those things I haven't thought deeply, or or I should say practically about, because I don't have the resources to necessarily make all those things happen. But uh, if I'm able to, there are other things in and around other businesses and or projects that I would like to help actualize. And those would involve collaborating with more people. My two takeaways from my conversation with Bryant were one, to pursue side projects and let them take you somewhere. So being willing to invest the time and effort to see where it goes and the connections that could come from it. The second being knowing when to be cautious and when to just go ahead and jump in with an idea and then figuring it out after you've already made a choice.